the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Two five seven. The following program is sponsored No Truth Incorporated. Today, from Philip Tacorsi on Know the Truth. Prayer is our helplessness plus faith in God. God is attracted to your weakness because He resists the pride and He gives grace to the humble. Prayer is a sense of helplessness plus faith in God. There's a good definition of prayer. Wake up early in the morning, kneel beside your bed, fold your hands, bow your head, and then what? Sometimes we have a difficult time knowing just what to say when it comes time to pray. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues a study about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. On those difficult days when we just can't articulate our deepest longings, we can rely on the Spirit to intercede for us. With a message titled, Lost for Words, here now is Pastor Philip DeCourcy. If you've ever been abroad, then you know how difficult it can be to communicate with the locals in a country that doesn't speak English. And sometimes that experience can be frightening on the one hand and frustrating on the other. Frightening in the sense that since you can't communicate, you're not sure if you're being deceived. It's rather frightening to be in a situation where you really aren't sure of all that's going on. It can be frightening. To that degree, it can be frustrating to another degree in that some of the easiest tasks can become hard. Like the ordering of a cup of coffee can turn into a UN negotiation. It can be frightening, it can be frustrating, but all of that is kind of settled if you're there with the tour guide, if you're there with someone who can act as an intercessor or an interpreter for you. And as I've thought about that, sometimes as Christians, prayer can seem like a foreign language, and prayer can seem like a foreign land. If you're new to the faith, you struggle with how I ought to pray. It seems such a foreign language. It seems such a foreign land. And even if you graduate from how I ought to pray, sometimes you're stuck at what you ought to pray. Paul acknowledges that here in Romans chapter 8, where he says, sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray for. That's why it's encouraging to come to a verse like this, where Paul reminds us that we have a tour guide, that we have someone who's willing to act as an intercessor and an interpreter for us. We have someone who's our prayer partner that speaks the language of heaven itself, that can communicate with us and for us in the whole realm of prayer. And so I want to come 
to Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and 27. And as we continue to look at the advantageous ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, we want to pay some attention to the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Christian's prayer life. We've looked at a number of aspects of his ministry in our life, and here is another one. It is the Spirit of God who enables us to pray and convinces us that prayer is something more than talking to oneself. Look at verse 14 in Romans chapter 8, the very chapter we're in. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit of God enables the Christian to pray. But if you go on down the chapter, the the verses we just cited, the Spirit of God not only enables us to pray, he shapes our uninformed and unformed prayers through his own intercession for us, making them conformable to the will of God. And if a prayer is made conformable to the will of God, then that prayer becomes acceptable to God. How strategic then is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in relation to the Christian's prayer life. It is the Spirit of God that makes the Christian active in prayer, and it is the Spirit of God that makes the Christian effective in prayer. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that's often overlooked. And so let's begin to look at this text. I want you to notice the word likewise that begins verse 26 and introduces us to the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit on the behalf of the Christian. Because that word likewise links what Paul is about to say to something Paul has already said. And you and I always want to be careful that when we come to a text, we don't take it out of its context. It's been said and needs to be said again. A text out of its context becomes a pretext for trouble. So what is the context? Well, the word likewise connects, I believe, Paul's thinking to some of the verses that have preceded, especially verse 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Paul is saying, just as hope mitigates our suffering in this present world. Remember, this is a fallen world. This is a world that's burdened and groans to be released at the redemption and return of Jesus Christ. How do we persevere in the midst of the pain and perplexity that is life? We do it because we've got a hope. And just as hope mitigates our present suffering, so does the work of the Holy Spirit mitigate our confusion in prayer. Likewise, says Paul, the Spirit also helps us. There's hope. And there's the intercession of the Spirit. Now, there's three things here. Number one, if you're taking notes, our confusion. When it comes to prayer, we often find ourselves confused. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. We know we ought to pray. Jesus said in Luke 18:1, man ought always to pray. We know that prayer is a duty. We know that prayer is a delight. But we also come by experience to realize prayer is a difficulty. 
sometimes we're not sure what to pray in a given situation. I think that Paul is addressing a particular situation in your life and my life where we come to a place where we're confused. I don't think Paul's talking about prayer in general. Because I think we know what we ought to pray for in general. In fact, Jesus gave us a map. Jesus gave us a playbook when it comes to prayer. His own disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, say. So we know what we ought to pray generally. But there are some times in a hospital or beside a bed or you're making a life decision, you're not sure what is the particular will of God. What is the best decision you can make given this particular personal set of circumstances? And there you stand scratching your head. Have you ever been there? Then Paul joins you with some words of advice, some words of encouragement. In a multiple choice world, in a confusing set of competing circumstances, and then in the fog of our own dense emotions, it's not always easy to determine what we ought to pray. And by the way, I don't think that gets any easier the older you get. In fact, I think this issue works in reverse. The more mature you become, the longer you've lived in Jesus Christ, you'll probably find yourself more confused than ever. Now, that sounds strange, but Paul Cedar who used to teach at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, led the EV Free Church movement for a while. He says this in his helpful book on prayer. The more mature I am in my prayer life, the more, not less, but the more I depend on the Holy Spirit for help in my praying. The reasons are obvious. When we pray self-centered prayers, it's easy for us to figure out what we want and when we want it. But when we begin more earnestly to seek God's will and to desire God's agenda over our own, Increasingly, our prayers become more focused on surrendering to the Lord and making ourselves available to be used by Him and in any way He desires. Do you catch His point? You know, we pray such babyish, simple prayers early on, and we really don't think at any major deep level. But the more we grow, the more we try to understand the will of God, sometimes the more complex it becomes. What brings about this ignorance? What brings about this impotence in prayer? What brings us to a state of confusion? I think our text and the context yield two things. Our world and our weakness. In the wider context, Paul acknowledges that the church lives in a messed up world. In fact, if you look at verse 22 and verse 23, you're going to see that you have a groaning church in a groaning world. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. Let me simplify the thoughts. The world is living under the weight of Adam's disobedience and the subsequent curse of God. We're living outside of paradise. We're living in a world that's marked by darkness and death, deception. Life is not what it once was. Life is not what it should be. Life is not what it's going to become. We're living in in in-between times. And the creation groans and we groan. That's why we sigh, we cry, 
because life brings us to a place of confusion and consternation. We live in an upside-down world. And if you live in an upside-down world, sometimes it turns your prayer life inside out. And you're not sure what you ought to pray for in a given set of circumstances. We live in a world wrapped in mystery, shrouded in darkness, deceived by Satan, and mismanaged by men. We live in a world of flawed people, fallen people, and flawed people, and fallen people, even with God's grace, don't always know how they ought to act or how they ought to pray. We're in a world that is but a shadow of itself. We're in a world where men struggle to be what God created them and redeemed them to be. And if that's the case, wouldn't you and I agree, you're going to have prayers that are not what they could be. If you and I are never at any point all that God would wish us to be, I got to assume what's true for me is true for my prayer life. My prayers will never be all that they could be. Because I live in a fallen world as a fallen man. Imperfect people in an imperfect world will without doubt pray imperfect prayers. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to pray for the right thing in a world gone wrong. And I think that's one of the reasons. But there's not only our world, there's our weakness. This is the main point. Our world is the surrounding context. Our weakness is actually the particular focus of the text. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This is the problem. We don't know what to pray because we're weak. We're weak. That's what Paul acknowledges. Now, what does that mean? In a narrow sense, I think it relates to our ignorance. It's got to. If we don't know what to pray, that tells you something about our weakness. We don't know the mind of God. Sometimes we don't even know our own hearts and the desires that compete within those hearts. We don't know what's best for us, and we don't know at times what constitutes God's best. His ways are past finding out, says Paul. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, says Isaiah. And when you understand that, then you can understand that's our weakness. Our minds are finite. Our perspectives are limited, and we're blinded sometimes by our own self-interest. We can't break free of the gravitational pull of our own selfish interests and focus. Because there's so many blind spots, so many blanks to your understanding and my understanding. But in a broader sense, I think the weakness relates to our own fallen condition. Okay, we live in a creation that groans longing to be what it was made to be, but no longer is because of Adam's sin and the consequent judgment of God. And what's true of the creation is true of us. We're very much part of a world that's flawed and feeble and finite. In fact, the word here, weakness, is in the singular in the Greek, which means to a degree that whatever we struggle with, it's a comprehensive condition. In fact, it's a state of being. We are weak, head to toe. And I think that's reinforced by the fact that when we read, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word help there is in the present tense in the Greek, which means the Spirit of God has to continually go on helping us in our state of ongoing weakness. 
because we are weak and therefore we need his help all the time. What's the point? Simply this. We never get beyond our stated weakness. We never get beyond our stated weakness. And when it comes to our prayer lives, our prayers before God get all tangled up in our own human inability and our own human ignorance. I've got a book in my study called No Condemnation by Octavius Winslow, an old Puritan writer. Here's what he says of this very verse in Romans 8, 26. Oh, how much prayerless prayer do we have to mourn over? How little brokenness of heart. How little sense of sin. How faint the taking hold of the atoning blood. How imperfect the realization of God's relationship to us as a father. How little faith in his promises, in his ability to aid, in his readiness to bless. Such are some of the many infirmities associated with our prayer. How true is that? Do we not need to mourn over prayerless prayers? Paul would say, yeah, I've had to. You'll have to, because the Spirit needs to help us in our stated weakness, for we don't know what we ought to pray for. Now, that's our confusion. Let me just pause and give you a practical takeaway from this whole section before we move on. Put this down, roll it over in your mind. Prayer and weakness are joined at the hip. Prayer and weakness are joined at the hip. Prayer is for the helpless and for the hapless. It's so refreshing to grasp that. God has already understood that we're going to need help in our prayer lives because our prayer lives will never get to a place where either they satisfy us or satisfy God. Someone's going to have to make some satisfaction for us. And that's not only the ministry of Jesus Christ, but that's also the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to this in a moment. We have two advocates. We tend to emphasize one advocate in our evangelical theology, but we have a second advocate. The Holy Spirit has been sent to help us in our struggles with prayer because of the world we live in and because of the state of weakness we exist in. Therefore, tipid, tired, troubled saints can take encouragement from the fact that prayer is not for the got-it-all-together kind of Christian, but for the weak and needy kind of Christian. Think about this. I think Paul is saying implicitly, is he not, that prayer begins when we are out of answers and at the end of our own rope. Prayer begins when we get there. This is a word for a sinning, and struggling saint. Your sins or your confusion are not a reason not to pray. They're the very reason you ought to pray in your weakness, in your feebleness. This is a word to the new Christian who's reticent to pray in public or pray in small groups because you know what? I can't measure up to all these mature Christians who seem to have their act together when it comes to prayer. What mature Christians? They're weak from the moment they're born to the moment they graduate to heaven. We all pray in a state of perceived weakness. And maybe we need to convey that some more, even as mature Christians, in the way we pray so we don't give people the impression we've got it all kneeled down. Because we don't. There are times we don't know what we ought to do. We're not sure what God would have us do. And there we are in a state of absolute confusion, consternation. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
But do remember that God is attracted to your weakness. God is attracted to your weakness because he resists the pride and he gives grace to the humble. Prayer is a sense of helplessness plus faith in God. There's a good definition of prayer. Prayer is our helplessness plus faith in God. I like this quote. I wrote it in my notes. That's why you ought to pray as you can. Don't try and pray as you can't. It's a good word. In fact, I came across a great story related to a famous professor at Edinburgh University in Scotland between 1843 and 1870. His name was Dr. John Duncan. He was an expert in Semitic languages. He became so endeared to both the faculty and the student body, he was known as Rabbi Duncan. But he was an evangelical minister. But he loved the Hebrew language and he loved the Semitic people. Such were his attainments scholastically, academically in Semitic languages that many students wondered what language he prayed in. Did he talk to God in Hebrew? Did he talk to God in Aramaic? And so two of them crept outside his bedroom one night, determined to listen to Rabbi Duncan pray. They wanted to hear his great flights of Hebrew rhetoric and mysticism. As they put the ear to the door, here's what they heard. That gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. There's a man who understood his weakness. He needed the help of the Holy Spirit. He came as a child with all his weakness and feebleness and ignorance. Our companion, secondly. Not only our confusion, but our companion. This is good. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's beautiful. Paul tells us that God has given us the Spirit of God Himself to help us in our infirmity, in our ignorance, and in our inability as it relates to prayer. He comes and prays with us, but the text seems to say he prays for us. He prays with us, but he also prays for us. And that's why it's not my eloquence. It's not my expertise. It's not some technique that makes my prayers adequate. It's the sweet and gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes my prayers adequate. We must come in the spirit of Rabbi Duncan, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this confused little child. What an encouragement to know that the Holy Spirit prays with us and for us. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Today's message is titled Lost for Words. You can order this two-part message on CD when you visit us at ktt.org. And if you're new to Know the Truth, you can request a free CD message from Philip titled Peace on Earth. As Philip shared today, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer, and it's a comfort to know that God doesn't require us to be eloquent, but to be earnest in our pursuit of God in prayer. 
And this month, we have a resource designed for recording your thoughts and prayers to God. It's the Know the Truth Journal, and it's the first time we've offered a resource like this, so we're eager to send it your way. Request the Know the Truth Journal when you make a generous donation in support of this nonprofit ministry. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And at this time of year, we hope you'll also make a much-needed year-end donation. Maybe you've been benefiting from Know the Truth throughout the year, but you've never taken the opportunity to support our mission to send God's truth out on the radio and the Internet. Well, December is a crucial time as we close the books on 2018 and balance our budget. We really need your most generous gift today. Remember, every donation you make to the ministry of Know the Truth is tax-deductible, and every dollar goes right to producing and distributing this daily Bible teaching broadcast. Call in your generous year-end donation to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. Now you can also write to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. We're so glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepard, signing off for Philip DeCourcy. But be sure to come back tomorrow for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The housing market is pretty hot right now, so yes, even below average agents can put a home on the market and sell it. But are they getting you the most for your home? I'm here with Christy Moore of More Realty Services. Christy was just telling me a story that floored me. So many people like to brag they sold their house in one day, and I'm always thinking, how much money are you leaving on the table? We had a client in Arlington who really wanted to buy this particular house. We put in an offer with an escalation of over $5,000 over any other offer without a cap and a note stating that we would do whatever it takes to buy the home. They accepted another offer without even telling us, and when we talked to the listing agent, she said she doesn't negotiate deals. She may have left $20,000 on the table for her clients. It's a hot market, but the wrong listing agent can cost you tens of thousands of dollars without negotiating skills. How about you sell your home for the most money? Call Christy Moore because she will sell your house in 58 days or she'll buy it. Call 866-404-5858. Certain conditions or exceptions may apply. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.